Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached. When I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom, I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 321, More Wild Turkey Research Talk with Mike Chamberlain. And I am your co-host, and the guy who... Killed a couple of quail last week. And I'm your co-host and the guy who's hoping to sack up some quail this week. All right. I hear a little background noise. Yeah, we're on the road, headed to Kansas. All right. That's what I like to hear. Yeah, so hopefully we'll get into some birds and brought some duck hunting gear and hopefully we'll find some ducks and maybe find some quail and maybe get a bonus rooster pheasant or two. Sounds like a good time. Yeah. Did the, the small game whacking happen at the hunt club? It did. We had a good time. We, you know, we brought in a hundred pin raised quail, and I've got to say that if it were not for me and my buddy Brian's son Parker, I don't think they would have killed enough to have fed the six or seven of us on the trip. I mean, it, we were Parker Rumley and I were there with a bunch of amateurs. Oh man! It was. It's the 
most pathetic thing I've ever seen. Ten so, raised quail, and they couldn't hit them, huh? Uh, how about either couldn't hit them or didn't even shoot when they would get up and fly? Oh, Lord. And I mean, these, listen, for pen-raised birds, and, and I know there's no comparison really between pen raised and, and wild birds so don't don't get me wrong so but, for pen raised birds these birds flew very well well that's good yeah yeah that, that helps a lot because there are times where they don't and you gotta like halfway catch them on the end of your boot to chunk them up and shoot them uh-huh but, <laughs> so it wasn't like these, that no these birds would fly 150 200 yards to the tree line when they would yeah. get up and go now we did have the the two or three birds and I mean literally two or three out of the birds we jumped that would just get up, fly 10 feet, and back down. And yes, you do not shoot at those. So I'm not talking about those birds, but I'm talking about the ones flying with no one in front of the shooter, no one to the side of the shooter, just up and fly perfectly the way a quail's supposed to fly towards a tree line and not even a shot fired. Oh, man. And it's like they were rationing ammo. So... Fortunately, Parker was there to help kind of straighten everybody out, and, and both he and I in the, on the morning hunt did pretty well. And then the afternoon hunt, I guess the guys started waking up and doing some shooting, and it turned out to be a, a pretty decent afternoon hunt. So we, we killed quite a few birds in the afternoon. But, I mean, out of 100 birds that were released, I think we killed 47 as a group. Wow. That's Did y'all have a dog? Yeah, we have two dogs. Okay. Who's, who's one of your friends has dogs? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So. Well, that's cool. Well, I'll report back next week. Hopefully, we'll find some wild ones out here roaming the prairie. I am sure you will. I hope you guys sure have a good so. time and y'all be safe out there. So. We will. But. Right now, though, today we're 86 days. 17 hours, 41 minutes, and 11 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. 86 days. That is, that's unbelievable. I mean, we're about to be in 21, so we're we're not far at all. No. And before that, though, we're only 50 days, 20 hours, and 46 minutes away from me and you putting the whack to a Utah gobbler. A dead-on 50 days. 50 days. Wow. I'm pumped about that trip. That's going to be fun. Yeah, I am too. I think it's going to be a really good time. Yeah. But so before that, we got a yeah. really cool interview with Dr. Chamberlain here. Yes, we do. Speaking of a good time, <laughs> this interview with Mike, I mean, I, I I just, you know, and you and I are the same way, could talk to the guy for days. Oh, yeah. But, you know. He has such a vast knowledge on a topic that I'm very interested in that I literally could talk to him forever. Yeah. And the cool thing is, he never gets tired of it. He loves it yeah. as much as we do. Yeah. So this is a good interview. It's, shoot, what, 40, 45 minutes long? And what do you say we jump into it and let the listeners enjoy this thing? Yeah, let's do it. All right. See you guys on the other side. See you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. Cameron and I are glad to tell you that we have on the line with us today the one, the only wild turkey doc. Mike Chamberlain is on the line with us. And, you know, what else do you talk about when you get this close to Christmas except wild turkeys? And who's the expert to bring on to talk about wild turkeys other than Mike Chamberlain? I mean, I I can think of one or two people that might be just equally as versed to talk about the subject. But we got 
a great one on the line with us today. And Mike, thank you for taking time out of your drive from seeing family headed back to home. And Merry Christmas in advance to you. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. I'm glad to join you. We're always glad to have you. You know, this is this you're one of those guests that we get on and it's like, all right, I know we need to wrap this thing up, but I just have like 15 more questions for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. hold yourself back. Hold yourself back. Don't, don't overwhelm him. <laughs> no, so, we, I'll, I'll answer any questions you've got. I know you will. You've been very generous about that and we love having you on the show. So let's let's go with this thing and you know i cameron said when i told him that i'd ask you to come on the show he said well, what do you want to talk to mike about i said well it's trapping season and so i want to talk a little bit about the process of trapping and then you know maybe ease into some of the projects some of the studies that you guys have going on if there's anything new that y'all have started or you know, any new developments in any of the the studies that you have that are ongoing. So let's talk a little bit about the trapping. So have have you or your students started your trapping yet? I know Brett started his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we've hit the ground. And it depends on the study site. Some of the study sites where deer seasons are still ongoing, we, we haven't started yet. Others where the season is either closed or we're on private lands that are, you know, are allowing access. We we've already started and we've we've caught several dozen birds already. So yeah, we're we're getting rolling. By the first week of January, we're pretty much everywhere. We're we're you know we're wide open by that point. But uh, yeah, so we're we're going. So the students are they're they're wide open right now. They're they're kind of the workhorse. You know, we we get credit for the for the science, but they they're the ones that make it happen. And, and turkey trapping is it's a lot of fun, but it's it's also a tremendous amount of work. And it's kind of like turkey hunting. The first week, it's it's a lot of fun, and you're 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 not very tired. And by the fourth or fifth week, you're exhausted and you're a zombie, and and you're grinding it out. That's pretty much that's pretty much how turkey trapping is. Yeah. How many weeks do y'all usually go for? Is it just like the month of January? It really just depends on capture success. I mean, ideally, we want to finish up in just a few weeks, but that that rarely happens. You all set years, like a you set a quota number of birds you're wanting to get, and that's how you know when you're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's usually okay. based on number of GPS radios that we've got. In other cases, it's not. In some cases, we just we catch birds until we just can't catch anymore. Those would be in situations where we're banding a lot of toms trying to get you know, harvest data. But usually we have some type of a target in mind, let's say, you know, 40 hens on this side and, and as many times as we can get. And then when we get to that 40 hens, we we, we either stop or, or we kind of focus on, on toms or jakes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And in some years, and some years, it's just a grind. Like last year, last year was tough. We, we, we trapped until March uh, on almost all of our sites because birds were just so hard to catch the, the the mass crop was really heavy where we were we were working and the temperatures were warm and and when turkeys don't have to eat corn they don't yeah, um, yeah. so mm-hmm. so i'm praying this year is going to be a little better thus far it's been it's been knock on wood pretty good we 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 caught some birds right out of the gate and and there are a lot of acorns on the ground but they've been on the ground for a number of weeks now so i think we're you know, we're cautiously optimistic. 
we're going to do a little better this year. Yeah. Can you can you tell by what you catch how last year's hatch went, or at least on a small scale? Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So you know, if you just look at the number of juvenile birds that are in these flocks, it, it's it's different with Tom's and Jake's, as you, as you all know, because you know you, you get a you get a flock of Jake's that walks up there and they're all together, and if you get a group of Tom's, they're all together. But the hens, yeah. they're a pretty good cross section of of the of what you're dealing adult with adult yeah yeah so it's like juvenile to adult ratio kind of like mm-hmm. what you do with ducks you know? and um so we catch let's just say we catch 10 hens that are they walk up there and we catch all of them and and five of them are, are juveniles well then that's a pretty good sign that probably had decent production on that site and but unfortunately that's not that's not what we usually are seeing and haven't been for for a decade or more now it's usually mm. you know, we catch 10 it's a if we get a couple of juveniles, that's, that's about right. Maybe one or two, but it's, it but yeah, the question that is a good barometer. Um, the, the, the age ratio of what we catch. Yeah. Has this year been about, like you just said, one or two per group of hens kind of thing, or is it looked like it was a pretty good hatch? I don't really know. I don't, I, we don't have enough data yet. Oh, the that that's site, true. You haven't caught that. Yeah. Yeah. We've caught and, and, and I don't, I don't get, daily updates I, I usually get you know every four or five days but we've caught uh several flocks of hens and i don't i know the age ratios on one of those was seven to three adult to juvenile which is actually not too bad considering where we've been in years past but hmm. by the end of trapping season we'll have we'll have a pretty good idea yeah and, and you know Cameron, some of that's a little biased because you know you and you know this you, you may end up with one big brood that survives you know, you got three or four hens and 20 poults and yeah, um, you catch those in the winter and it may end up being four or five adults and eight or 10 juveniles. Well, that may have been your production for the entire, you know, local area all in one flock. So it's, right. it's not a perfect, not a perfect metric, yeah. but it is. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good question, Cameron. You know, the, the trapping process is something I've always been real interested in and always wanted to, to participate in so are you guys are, are your students do that i mean is this a uh daylight to dark sitting in a blind over a pile of corn waiting yeah. on birds to come in yeah yeah it yeah. is so what we do is we 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 bait sites that are where we can fit the rocket net and we mm-hmm. try to spread them out as kind of equally as we can across the sites knowing that you know, this time of year, birds are where acorns are or where acorns were. So we're, you know, we're in bottomland areas. We're trying to, we're trying to get blocks that are moving about. And, and turkeys will move a lot right now. They'll, they'll cover some ground. So we, we've got a lot of bait sites out. We have cameras on those sites, and we're, we're constantly, you know, you check a site, turkey tracks are there. You pull the card, you look at the card. There's birds showing up. If there's a net there, great. If there's not, then you're you're busting your can to go get a net, put it there, and the, you know after dark, put a blind up, and then the next morning you're there, and and it's a it's a constant process. You know, turkeys turkeys are unwilling participants. They they don't want to be caught. Um, <laughs> so they uh, they get pretty slick, um, and and so they they can get pretty wise. They and this shouldn't come as rocket science body but you know when there's a blind sitting there and there's no body in it that's different from when there is a body in it they you know sometimes turkeys just have a sixth sense about them and mm-hmm. um they sometimes they don't cooperate in fact most of the time they don't cooperate 
they most days we fail. Most days we sit and they don't come back, they don't show up, or they they show up and they don't line up. They they have to they have to be facing the net and they have to have their heads down. Otherwise, you you risk injuring birds, and, and that's just not worth. You know, that's not why we're trying to catch them. So we mm-hmm. we take it really seriously, trying to avoid any injuries. And we we don't want feather loss. We don't want any of that. So we sometimes we have to let them walk off in the interest of not hurting somebody. So most of the time we fail, and and every now and then we're we're successful and it's great. But yeah, it's a it's a grind. You, I try to you know people always they always say to me that man I bet that's so much fun and and it it is it's fun when it works. Right. When it doesn't work, it sucks. And I, I'll be honest, it, it's cold. You're sitting still. You you just sit there. And a, a friend of mine, a former student of mine, said turkey trapping is like. It's like days and days of boredom and misery followed by 20 seconds of sheer terror and excitement. <laughs> and that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You, uh, so, you look out of the blind, like, there they are, there they are. And um, then they line up and the net goes boom. Boom. <laughs> and then you realize now the work starts. Now right. I get to put the radios on and now we get to track them. And, but, uh, but, yeah, it's fun when it works. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So the timing on this, from what I gather from what you said uh, when we when we started the interview, is has a lot to do with deer season, and also you're doing this in the fall where you've got actually bigger flocks of birds, and you know hopefully you're getting flocks of you know four, five, eight toms at a time if you can get one of those coming in, that kind of thing. So. That makes sense. And also from what I gather, your stopping time doesn't seem to have as much to do with weather or winter stress here in the southeast as it does have we tagged enough birds. Is that are those two safe assumptions? Yeah, yeah. The the second the latter point being we you know, we stop we, depending on the site, when we start getting around the first week of March we we quit even if we haven't caught our birds because you know what what you're then doing is you're asking to catch a bird with a with a net put a band on it put a gps unit on it and then act ask it to behave normally a month later when they when they're starting to net um mm-hmm. so we we we're really aware of that so we we try our absolute best to get the birds caught as early in the winter as we can so that they can settle down and and we're then we're we're certain or, or confident, I guess we're, we're never certain, but we're confident that what we're observing is the bird's behavior and not some artifact of something that happened a couple of weeks earlier. So we, you know, by the first of March, we're we're wrapping it up. And like I said, if we, if we can get our hands on birds early, we we're done. We you know we get them caught, marked, and we're we're out of there. And and that's the ideal scenario, really, is is to get them caught early and, and be finished. The, the the reason we want to catch them in the winter. I've trapped a lot in the summer, and I've probably trapped more than, um, probably more than anybody in the United States in the summer that yeah. that's still doing turkey research, and it's it's miserable. It's 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 hard on it's hard on you. It's hard on the birds, and they're they're in small groups. So we try to avoid the summer, but winter, if if parades, the birds are in an ideal scenario because they're. They're flocked up, and we don't know who is who, but we determine that really quickly because we 
you know, we catch this big flock of birds and, and we, we take blood samples. So we take a sample from under their wing, um, pluck a little small feathers out, and um, and then we we take a little tiny little capillary tube of blood and we we genotype it. We we can figure out who is related to who. So hmm. so the ideal scenario is we catch all these birds together and then we can piece together afterwards okay well there were let's just say there were 10 hens there four of them are sisters um two of them are half sibs whatever three of them are not related to anybody um and then we've we've kind of got that information it's easier to get that when they're in big groups because right now they're not segregated based on who's related to each other or and y'all know this i mean these, these bigger flocks are they're multiple groups of birds that come March, those 20 hens that are walking around together now, they're going to be a group of five and a group of eight and a group of mm-hmm. six, you know, et cetera. So it's, uh, it's ideal to catch them now when they're all together uh, rather than trying to catch them when they're in little smaller groups. Yeah. Do, do y'all, so your student that's in the blind, if they don't actually net the turkeys, do they take notes of their observations? Like, is that part of the data y'all collect? Like, I saw six yeah. gobblers and three hens, but I didn't catch any? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. we, we keep pretty detailed records on how many birds are using sites, whether we caught them, when we sat. Um, and, you know, usually, knock on wood, if most of the time, if let's just say there's five palms walk up there, most of the time we'll get all of them or most of them. Every now and then, things happen. I mean, um, turkeys, you know, again, turkeys don't, don't want to be caught, so they um, they don't always get the script right. So, and, and I've People don't believe it, but you can shoot a rocket net over a turkey. And if they choose to run instead of fly, they get out. They, they can outrun huh. that net just without exception. But if That's they unreal. jump up in the air, they, they, we catch them. So if they jump straight off the ground to fly, we catch them. But if they run, we miss them every time. Um, so sometimes things just don't work out the way that you want them. But but most of the time, if, you know, if there's a group standing there, we'll get – the lion's share of them but if we don't we do write that yeah we do record that so you know hey six toms walked up caught four of them one escaped got out from under the net before i could get to them one ran off or something like that yeah yeah that's that's interesting so as far as the the studies that you have going now is there anything new that you've just started within the past 12 months or so or you you just yeah. continuing to Okay. Yep. Tell us a little bit about yeah, those yeah. if you can. Yeah, we, we just started a, a project. Um, it actually kind of got off the ground last spring on the Savannah River site in South Carolina, which is, if you're not familiar with Savannah River site, it's a, it's a nuclear facility. It's basically, it's a, about 200,000 acres of, of land, that uh, most of which is not hunted. The acreage that, that is hunted is only hunted two days a year, and it's hunted by handicapped sportsmen or you know wounded warriors and mm-hmm. and the, the heart uh-huh. almost so it's basically the only large non-hunted population in the southeast so wow. we've just started a project there we we, we kind of like i said we got it off the ground a little bit last winter just kind of kind of getting our feet wet but i've i've got a, a, a new phd student that's on that project now and and she'll be doing basically the same exact work that we do on all of our other sites, but she's doing it on a, a population that's not subjected to hunting. And, and, and what we're looking at there is uh, 
and we have been for a number of years. We, we've been doing gobbling, assessing gobbling data there for, gosh, six or seven years now. Yeah. But we, we've just started doing the GPS tracking. Um, and what we're trying, to, obviously, I, I would suspect any listener would, would think, what we're trying to understand is, you know, how does this bird function the absence of any hunting activity, of any harvest, of any disturbance during the spring? I mean, these birds on this site, they, they don't, they're not treated like birds on, you know, public areas or even private lands that are hunted. They, they don't have people in the woods walking around. Yeah. If they are researchers, you know, and they don't have people that are scouting. They don't have any males being removed. They don't have you know, any type of disturbance to hens, there's, there's none of that. So we're hoping to kind of understand what does this bird look like when we're not part of the equation? And, and, I, and I kind of the gist of it is that um, we, we've been studying hunted populations for years, uh, you know, all over the, the southeast, all over the country, really. But, but we haven't really gotten a benchmark for well, how does this bird behave naturally? Um, and I'm particularly huh. interested in kind of the social aspect of how turkeys behave. And what I mean by that is, you know, we, we, we put transmitters on these birds and we look at genetics and we, we know all of that, but we don't really know how that's supposed to look. We, we base a lot of our, what we think we know on either captive work that, that Bill Healy did back many, many years ago, or we base it on some really limited work that's been done on Rio's out west but there's just not a lot of data out there, and um, so I'm really, I'm really excited about this project. I, I think it's, yeah. I think we're going really cool stuff about how turkeys just act. Period that we didn't know, and and then hopefully we can we can kind of step back and look at some of the other populations we're studying, have been studying, and say, okay, well, here's a, a, a population that, for instance, that's exposed to. Uh, a quota type hunting scenario where it's only on weekends. Here's how the gobbling looks. Here's how the reproductive data looks. Okay, and here's a population that's exposed to, you know, a really liberal hunting season where they're hunted you know, 45 days, high bag limit, you know, no no limitations on hunter access. Here's how that picture looks. And we can kind of start getting a sense for, you know, how are, are various hunting frameworks affecting the bird if at all in some cases it may be very little but without a benchmark we really don't know so yeah uh, so that's kind of just of the, the savannah river study are y'all studying i know there's a wma that literally borders that are y'all doing studies on that as well to kind of just right yep. there in that yep. same ecosystem the differences yep yep yeah that's, that's awesome that's, yeah we've uh we've been working on that that site as well for several years now um and the gobbling data is really pretty it's pretty interesting if you look at if you look at the gobbling data on on our hunted our really heavily hunted sites they you know the birds kind of they start shutting up once the season gets geared up and and some of that we know is some vocal birds are being shot but some of some of that is other birds are not they're just being quiet and and if you look at at cracker neck um, which is only hunted two days a week, you see these very predictable. Um, when hunting starts, the gobbling declines. And then when hunting stops, it goes up, and then it declines, and then it goes back up, and it declines. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty humorous. And in Savannah Riverside, if you look at the, the gobbling data, which we've published 
a lot of that from that site. They gobble all spring. I mean, they, you know, you see, you see these day-to-day fluctuations like you see on all of our sites. You know, one day they just gobble really good, and one day they don't. And, and you see that same trend, but the, the magnitude is much different on a non-hunted site than a hunted site. In other words, the, the good days are a lot better, and the bad days are not as bad. So overall, you just get you're going to get more gobbles on the non-hunted, obviously, than the hunted. I mean, yeah, is is, yeah. is it like significantly more? Like over like a week's time, is it just like significantly more gobbling happens on your non-hunted? Yes. Oh, it's dramatic. I mean, wow. It's, yeah, it's, it's dramatic. The, the really interesting thing, you know, the, the the way we the way we track gobbling is is these song meters. They're like these radios that you boxes that you hang in a tree basically mm-hmm. so so what it's doing is it's listening to everything in the environment so it's stationary it's not moving around the, the, the birds are moving so you, you'll hear a bird on the roost and he's gobbling you know he's gobbling pretty good and then he flies down and he and he disappears off the song meter in other words we don't we stop hearing him we don't know that he stopped gobbling right we, we just know that we, we we don't hear him anymore but you would assume that if he was gobbling and as he moved around, he's encountering other song meters. I mean, we have them scattered all over the place. And you don't see that on, on hunted sites. You see a lot of gobbling early, you know, on the roost, and then they fly down, and that's it. On the Savannah River site, you see pretty consistent gobbling well after daylight. You, you still see the, the trend of most of the goblings in the tree, as it should be. That's the way turkeys are supposed to function. But but you do see more gobbling, you know, later in the morning there than you than you do on the hunting site. Yeah, that's that's interesting in a, on a bunch of different levels, but to me, primarily because you're dealing with properties that are right next door to one another, so similar terrain, oh, yeah. similar habitats, and probably very similar predator populations between that WMA oh, yeah. and, and the Savannah River yeah. site. And so, yeah. you know, those, those birds in Savannah River are still getting the same amount of pressure from predators as they are on the WMA, but you still, you're getting more gobbling on Savannah River than in the WMA. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we are, we're pretty careful. You know, I, I don't want to make inferences try to and convey information to somebody that I, that I even reasonably think could be suspect. And so, you know, we, we're we pretty careful about, you know, all of our study sites, at least in the Deep South, almost all of them look the same. And what, I'm, what I mean by that is they're all pine-dominated. Uh, a lot of them are U.S. Forest Service properties, WMAs. They're all managed kind of the same. And Although they're not identical, you know, they all do have bobcats, they all have coyotes, they all have kind of the same predator communities. Otherwise, you, you're really comparing apples to oranges. Mm-hmm. So the Savannah site, I feel pretty comfortable comparing it to our other kind of deep south sites because they are, structurally, they're, they're pretty comparable. We do have some sites that, that aren't. You know, we do have some sites that, that look quite a bit different and and particularly sites that are more open, you know, you can you can kind of imagine that that hunting activity and, and predators would would influence birds differently in, in more open terrain than in, say more forested areas. So we try to be pretty careful in how we are make you know we're making the comparisons. Is there this may come across as stupid, and you can correct me if it is, but is there a way y'all could put one of those like a small song meter on a gobbler? No, but but there are. <laughs> 
Um, there are ways that are being advanced where you can you can get an idea of whether the bird is gobbling or not. Mm. We have not gone down that road yet. And, and I'll be honest with you, the, the, the cost to do what we do is yeah. is hot. Yeah. And and we rely on on primarily on hundred dollars. I mean these are for instance the most of the work I have is, is generated from Pittman Robertson funds, which are, you know, as you know, excise taxes that hunters and, and, and shooters are putting I mean they they're paying a tax and that tax is going in the state coffers that, that helps fund research and and so I'm I'm I'm, I'm very aware of, of who who pays the bills if you will here and and, and we already I mean it, it costs a lot to do this type of work I mean it, it costs a lot to pay to pay people to, to track birds and, and honestly what we pay them is a, is a damn shame I mean it really is I mean it, I wish we could pay them more but but we can and yeah but it does cost money and, and these you know the technology costs money and the the vehicles and the gas i mean everything costs money and and we're already spending you know a lot of state dollars to do this work so we're you know we're keenly aware of what it costs to do business money isn't doesn't grow on trees you know but but i to your point camera yes at some point there we'll have the opportunity and the ability to very closely document what a bird is doing and whether he's whether he's you know he's gobbling or not that that's pretty cool stuff i'm we're just not quite there yet yeah would a year like we just had where there was significantly more hunting than usual is that gonna aid with this kind of research i mean is that gonna help y'all have more money available i'm assuming because we had more hunters than ever in the woods this year yeah i mean the bottom line is when you see when you see bumps in the purchases of licenses and firearms and you know, and ammunition and sporting goods, you, you do see a, that translates into more money being available for, you know, through Pittman-Robertson funds for research and other expenditures that, you know, at the state level. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of an odd, it's kind of an odd relationship. You know, you're like, well, and there's folks everywhere hunting and, and, and I step back and I think, well, for job security, that's a good thing because... <laughs> I have a little bit of a little bit of money to, or the state will have money that they can that they can allocate. You know, it's yeah. our job to, <laughs> as wisely as we can and, and do the you know do the best we can with the, with the money they have available. But the the turkey hunter in you is like, man, I don't want to share my ridge with this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this year was really weird. I mean, we we talked about this, you know, on this forum and. I've talked mm-hmm. about it on others, and I'm still talking about it on social media. You know, people are asking constantly. I mean, this year was a – I hope we will look back and say that was just 2020 and it's gone, and thank God it's gone. And, but but you never know. But, yeah, this, this year was a strange – it was a strange spring, and I think we'll – in many, many ways, not only just for turkeys, but in you know, in society at large, we'll we'll deal with the consequences and, and some of the the fallout from this spring and beyond for many years to come. Yeah, I just was wanting a little silver lining from it. <laughs> so that's why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least the money goes to y'all. <laughs> you know, and you I, know. I think there will be. I think there will be some 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 truly significant benefits to this. To, to what happened this spring for turkeys because I, I think a lot of people you know granted we saw harvest was up in, in some places not all there were some places that it, it really didn't seem to be affected in fact harvest was lower in some places because you know hunters couldn't 
they couldn't travel. Mm-hmm. But I think in a lot of ways, there's attention being paid to this bird that wasn't. And, hmm. you know, part of that came from the, the fact that people had time on their hands. And, and, and maybe there are some new turkey hunters. Maybe there are some, some folks that re-engage with turkey hunting or, or just decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going I'm gonna try to hear a bird this morning or, or just get out of the house because I'm sick of being stuck in where I'm at. And, and I think in the long run... I don't know if that bled through. <laughs> that was my mapping feature. Uh, I think on some on some ways, you know, I think I think we're going to see some positives that come out of this. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> I'm glad there's some hope, at least in your voice. It, it, it you know makes me feel hopeful when you're a little hopeful. Yeah. So uh, along those lines, still talking about COVID, and and I'm probably going to say something that you as a scientist and you know to an extent a statistician are probably not going to go out on a limb and and make assumptions about at this point but will we in a scientific way know the true effects of what 2020 was like on these states like georgia south carolina alabama tennessee and and you know and i apologize to all the guys that listen to the show in the northeast and i know that several of those states had issues well i say issues they had the same experience that we did in the southeast with more hunters in the woods more birds being harvested and that kind of thing but i'm i'm you know speaking to the southeast because really that's where i was this spring and and not too far out of there but you know i I can say that that the increase in harvest has to affect some of the studies that you guys have ongoing. And, you know, how is that being accounted for? You know, or you may you may tell me, well, Andy, we can't take that into account because we don't know for sure, you know, how it's affected it or, you know, but do you understand where I'm going with all this? Yeah. Yeah. And and the short answer, and maybe it's not going to be a short answer, but in, in some ways, we, we just don't we don't know and we're not going to know for some period of time because of, of the kind of the, the trickle-down effects, if you will. In the short term, I, I think we're going to have a pretty good snapshot this spring, this coming spring, of how maybe what, what occurred on, in, in some areas last year or this past spring affected gobbling activity. I think that's going to be the first barometer is, do you hear fewer birds, and do you hear fewer gobbles from those birds? Logically, you would you would think that if harvest was was higher, harvest rate, and that's a that that's where it gets tricky. And is you know if you just look at harvest numbers, they're misleading because we don't know how many birds are out there. Right. So we kind of we kind of fall back on well, what percentage of birds that we that we marked were killed, and in some cases it was it was really high. And in other cases, it wasn't as high. It was about about normal. But uh, what would constitute really high? Oh, we had we had some sites where we lost more than half of our birds, our known our known birds. Yeah, we had we had a couple sites where we lost nearly all of them, and then we had some sites where we didn't lose maybe one or two. So I, I give you the, the the site that I that I I'm the most knowledgeable about is one of my own study sites, and, and the reason we we have. We have four years of data on this site, so if you go back and look 
and you assume that every bird that's ever been caught uh, was alive. Every every male that we've ever caught in this study was alive this year, if you make mm-hmm. that assumption. So in other words, mm-hmm. if we, we weren't told they were dead in a previous year, so if they weren't shot and reported, we assume they're alive. We know that more than 40% of them were killed this year. Wow. Hmm. And if you kind of if you kind of look at that, um, that's a that's a high harvest rate. We know that that's not sustainable. Was that? Am I saying that that was everywhere? No, 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 absolutely not. But but in but in local pockets, um, if harvest was was higher, if the rate was higher than it was in previous years, without a corresponding increase in production in a previous year so in other words there weren't more birds out there than normal we just killed more if that's the scenario then yeah we're, we're, we should expect to see some type of effect i think the immediate effect will be folks are either going to hear fewer birds or they're not and if they don't then fine that's great if they do then there's a sign that maybe we may have taken more toms you know than we than we had been the, the other side of it is much more nuanced and tricky because involves it would involve long-term consequences and those man that's a that's a tough sell and i don't know i honestly don't know if we'll ever have the data to show that i, I really don't I, I just maybe maybe we will maybe we'll see the the signal if you will in the data sets mm-hmm. i just don't know we really the ideal scenario would be we would just have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of turkeys marked everywhere but but that's not realistic we, we you know we do we catch as many as we can, and we, we mark as many as we have money to mark, and, and we let the chips fall where they may. Um, I, I don't want to, and I, I got I was recently criticized for, for being, you know, for suggesting the, the sky was falling, and, and I'm, that's not what I'm suggesting. And I've, I've, I've been very careful not to suggest that. The sky is not falling. But I do suspect that we are going to see that in some places we probably shot more toms than than normal and if we did then the logical assumption would be that for some period of time moving forward we would have fewer toms to shoot i mean that's common sense right. that's that's just yep. the way basic works uh unless we see a, a, a increase in pulp production and we haven't seen that maybe we will I, I hope we do and i got some really encouraging reports this spring which was good I, uh in some local areas I, I got some reports of lots of broods running around and man i i hope that be the case moving forward yeah yeah how important are those brood surveys that are done by the states you know and and i know various states enlist the help of of their citizens and you know some states don't they it's just strictly done by the biologist and the game wardens and that kind of thing but how important are those to what you guys do as researchers um they they can be critically important because at the state level, those surveys are really the only data we have that are collected at a broad enough scale that, that we think they represent the, you know, the statewide population, if you will. We know they're biased. I mean, we know, we know the issues with those surveys. I mean, they, we tend to, if you look at the data that are collected, they tend to be collected in the same areas right. day after day. You know, Andy's driving to work, and Andy's a turkey enthusiast, so he pays a lot of attention, and he he's really diligent in the data he collects. And then Mike, he's he's in a rush, and he thinks he saw three hens and ten poles, but he's not sure, so he just records that. Andy stops and takes his binoculars and realizes that it's actually you know four hens and eight poles or something. I mean, so we know there's biases in the data, but they but to your 
to your original question, those data sets are, are super important because they're they're one of the few pieces of data we have at a broad scale. You know, the data we collect as, as researchers is pretty site-specific, so it's super accurate, you know, but it's restricted to these WMAs or these private lands or, mm-hmm. or wherever. So, so, yeah, we... We do we do put you know quite a bit of weight in, in those in those broader surveys and if you look you know when I when I when I try to tell the story of this bird to people in the south and, and I get asked a lot to do this you know hey come tell us in 30 minutes what this bird's facing I start with with those data sets I start with that that broad data because it all looks the same in every state it, it, it shows that the number of poults that we're producing is lower than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, you know every every state looks a little different, but the trends are all the same. And and if you look at if you just grab a state in the southeast, and I don't care what state you grab, if you grab a state and you look at the poll data that that you're talking about, these, these you know the citizen science data or the the data that the game wardens and biologists you know the observations they collect. If you look, every state's the same. It, the magnitude of decline may be a little less in one state than the other, but you know. You may, for instance, you may look at, at Arkansas, and it, it may have declined, I don't know, let's just say 30 or 40 percent, and then in the next state it's 40 or 50 percent or what. But the bottom line is it's all it's all showing the same trends. And, and harvest, you know, until recently, harvest had shown some of those same trends, and, and then, you know, but, but harvest doesn't always track production. So, um, but yeah, I, I hope people are diligent when they're, when they collect those data, and I hope they participate, you know, when they're asked to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's one of my complaints about some of the southern states, and that they don't don't enlist the help of the citizens in any of those surveys. And you know, I think, and you confirmed it. You know, I, I think it's valuable data. You know, it, it's to me, it just seems extremely hard to manage a resource that you don't know how much of that resource you have. Oh yeah. Yeah, and that's the, that is the age-old question in the turkey world. That, you know, we have methods out there to estimate deer density. We, we have ways of, of getting really good estimates of deer abundance. But until recently, and we're doing some of this work now where we're, we're actually we're putting colored bands, leg bands, colored leg bands on, on birds, and we're using cameras to, to kind of recapture them, if you will, to, to see them. And we use like a mark recapture type estimate to, to estimate how many birds are out there. But you're 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 solid. You're right on. We don't know how many turkeys are out there, and therefore, if you think about this from a practicality standpoint, I mean, think if you really and I think about this a lot. If you don't know how many birds are out there, but you know that you let's say for instance you've harvested 10 percent but you don't know what that 10 percent is you don't know if that's 10 percent of a thousand or 10 percent of two thousand or you don't know you just don't you don't know so without knowing abundance we are really in a lot of ways hoping and and managing this bird kind of predicated on the fact that they're going to produce they're going to consistently produce birds that they're going to be productive and they're going to sometimes dig themselves out of a hole and what the reproductive data shows across the region is they're not doing that they're not digging themselves out of out of holes they're they're kind of in a in a rut if you will and 
and yeah, that, that your question is something that, and I'll be honest, it's embarrassing as a researcher. I, it's embarrassing. We we have struggled mightily to come up with ways to, to estimate how many birds are out there, and and we failed in a lot of ways. We've tried all different sorts of things, and, and just we just haven't done a good job of it. And, and but we're trying. I, mean, I think we're on what we're doing now. I think is pretty solid. I, it's just going to take some time to. To catch enough birds and ban enough birds and get enough pictures and to be able to reliably say we know with let's just say 90 percent certainty that there are between x number and x number of birds in this 50,000 acres or half million acres or whatever it is now can we extrapolate that to the bigger landscape you know and, and try to predict how many birds are, are out there that's that's where we need to be we're just not there yet yeah yeah are you familiar with the study that's going on in Tennessee at all, or are you involved in it? I'm familiar with it, yeah. Yeah, that, that study started okay. a number of years ago, and they, um, they, the, the bottom line is that that study started, and I'm, I'm certainly not going to speak for the, the researchers that are involved there, and I'll let them do that, but that study was, was kind of designed from the start to, to grab pieces of information that could be used to make those types of management decisions, you know, What's their what's their nest success? What's their harvest rate? You know, what's brood survival? What's colt survival? That's how the study started, and it and it, it you know it you know Cameron it it, it started kind of in that breadbasket, if you will, of, of, of turkey habitat in, in Tennessee. It's kind of the area of Tennessee is is money, and so when when people started seeing some declining trends in that part of the world, it, obviously the, the alarm flags went off. So, mm-hmm. so that study. Don't remember honestly, and forgive me. I, I think it's in its fifth year. I think maybe, this um, coming spring is supposed to be the last year, from my understanding. Yeah, I, I, I don't know a lot of specifics of the timing, but I think it's in its. I think they're about to go in their their fifth year of trapping, which you yeah. know, that, that, it's obviously. I mean, when you trap that many years, you, I mean, the data typically, you know, they're they're pretty reliable if you got four, five, six years of information. Yeah, because they voted to, they were going to vote to reduce our bag limit to two, but they ended up only going to three because the study people who were doing the study said it might skew their data if, if we dropped the bag limit too dramatically from four to two. Yeah. So I thought yeah, that was interesting. I'm not, yeah, I'm not familiar with the, those discussions. I, I Obviously, I mean, you and I, of course, on fairly regularly. I, I was aware of that as well. And I, and I see the, I kind of see the, you know, I get it from the research perspective is, you know, you, when you start changing, you start confounding, you know, you start throwing mm-hmm. into the equation that you can't account for. And, and I, I, I get it. I understand. I, I've been in that same situation. In fact, I've, I'm in that same situation now. I mean, one of the sites that I'm working on, there was a regulations change, you know, two years after we, after we started. Um, so you, you kind of do the best you can and, and try to account for those, those factors. But yeah, regs changes midstream can be can be problematic. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Well, here we are, right back where we started. With me about to say that we're fifty minutes or so into this interview, and I still have about eighteen <laughs> more questions to ask you. <laughs> but, but I know I need well, you to. Hurry to up, I know. Yeah, you I, hurry up! It's got eighteen left. <laughs> well, how about we save them for another episode? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That that would be. I a like lot of that fun. idea. 
Cameron, is there anything so pressing that you have to know today that you want to ask Mike before we cut him loose and cut you loose, let let us all get back to work and getting ready for the well, holiday? Well, un- unless he wants to give me some GPS coordinates on backpack tote and gobblers, then I don't have anything further. <laughs> I'm, no, <sorry. laughs> uh, I'm not doing that, obviously. Um, I don't <laughs> I don't even hunt on my. I don't even hunt on the sites that I work on. I've I've always made a, a conscious decision just not to do that. And I don't ask for coordinates because I don't. Want to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'd be a little less fun if you were like, all right, he's sitting in this tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I let I let other people hunt the birds that we have marked, and and we just collect the data. Yeah. And, all right. So one one just follow up question. All that. You really are rooting for your birds to survive every spring, aren't you? Honestly, <laughs> honestly uh, I'm not. What I'm rooting for is I'm rooting to get answers as fast as I can. Hmm. So if if birds have to die to get answers, then so be it. But I'll be honest, what keeps me awake is I want answers yesterday. I want I want to understand questions and and if you know, if birds need to die to do that, then so be it. I mean, we're, we're marking them so that we can understand what's going on. And if, if we're part of what's going on and, and birds get shot, then they get shot. I mean, that's just the way, that's the way it is. I'm rooting for answers. And if I can get answers and those answers are justifiable and defensible, then that's, that's what I'm after. Perfect. Yeah. I, I tell you what would be fun, and this will be the last thing I say, if you went hunting with somebody, but you had like a screen showing where the gobbler is, but you're, you know, you're not allowed to convey to the hunter where he is and you just watch and see what happens. That, that would be pretty interesting to, to watch. You know, you know, the gobbler's leaving, but the guy thinks he's coming or whatever. <laughs> that would, that would be interesting. And, and, and I won't go into this in depth. I'll just say shortly that I have hunted in the past. I have hunted our marked birds. Back many, many years ago, we we had to get the GPS units back to be able to get the data. We we didn't have the technology that we have. And uh-huh. we had we had this bird who was Satan. He he was he don't need it, Mark. <laughs> we uh He's marked. We tried to kill him. Yeah, yeah, we tried to kill him and uh and we couldn't kill him. We just couldn't that bird died of old age. Uh, Holy cow. Yeah, so I, I have been in that ball game where I knew is that bird coming or not, and and he wasn't. He <laughs> he 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 didn't he didn't want to play the game, and so I've been there. I can uh, I can speak with a that that yeah. Sometimes when you know what they're doing, it's still no consolation that they're still they're still beating you. They're beating you that one. Right. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. That's a cool story. That is a cool story. Good well, deal. thanks, Dr. Chamberlain, for coming on here. I, I love talking to you about turkeys. It is always so interesting to me, and I'm grateful to be able to reach out to you anytime I do have a quick question or something. You always seem to get back pretty quick to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to talk to you. Not a problem. Yeah, I second all that that Cameron just said. And I want to, we'll, we'll end the recording now, but I've got a question to ask you that I think is going to be of interest to me and probably not many others. So, if you don't mind hanging on the phone with me for five more minutes, you still have five sure. minutes left in your drive? Yeah. Yeah, I've got an hour. All right. Well, I don't <laughs> think I'll take that much of your time, but 
that that'd be good so and Cameron you're welcome to hang on as well but we'll go ahead and end the recording now if if y'all are cool with it cool all right yeah that that was fantastic he never disappoints no definitely not dr chamberlain i mean he's devoted his life to working with these birds and it's it's pretty incredible yeah yeah and you know after we stopped the recording he spent another 15 minutes on the phone with us just talking about some of the things that he's experienced in specific states that Cameron and I are interested in, but not necessarily would be of interest to the majority of you guys. And so, you know, he's just very willing to, to give of his time and he does it for the turkeys. Yeah. And I mean, he definitely cares about the bird and I think he's doing a lot to really help our sport out. I know there's some people out there that may cause controversy with him because they're worried he's going to take away days of hunting for him or something. But I think he's trying to lose the best wild turkeys. Yeah, he is. No doubt about it. Well, good deal. No doubt. Well, you know, that was a good one. I think we've been pumping out some really good content for this being, I'm going to say it, even though it's fall season in a, in a lot of places still and winter seasons are about to crank up. But even though it's kind of the off season, yeah. I got to say we've been killing it here lately. Oh, yeah. Our guests have been great. we got another one next week that's going to be incredible. I think everybody will be interested in that. And we're hoping to get, we're spitballing some other ideas that we got coming up. So we got plenty of good guests for everybody coming up. Yes, indeed. So in the meantime, I'm going to let you get back on the road. And All right. I want you to, to focus now. I don't want you to be like the amateurs that I hunted with this past week. You need to be zoned in and ready to kill when you arrive. So I am I'm, ready. I'm expecting to see some pictures from you. I sure hope so. We're going to get there with about two hours to hunt this this afternoon, I'm hoping. So hopefully we'll find us a couple of coveys before dark. Good deal. Well, you guys be safe up there. Be safe traveling as well. And I guess I will talk to you next week. But for now, we need to say goodbye to everyone listening to the show. So thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week and... We look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.